This is Let's Talk with Hart Hagen. This is a show about changing the world because, well, the world needs changing and fast. So how does an average guy from Louisville, Kentucky have the nerve to talk about changing the world? And the reason is we are taught that we live in a society where we have a government of, by, and for the people. Government of the people, by the people, and for the people. So if we don't set about to change the world, who will? And if we are not going to set about to change our government, who will? The alternative is to leave power, leave, leave the reins of power in the hands of those who are driving our society and our species off of a cliff. So it's like this. Let's say that we, as a society, are in a bus, and the bus has a bus driver, and we are the passengers of the bus, and the bus driver represents the people who actually have power in our society, and the, and the people who have power are a small fraction. You know, we're taught that we have a democracy and all this, but if you look at actually how power works, a great deal of power, in fact, most of it, if not virtually all of it, is in the hands of a very few people. And the very few people are the ones that have the most money because, you know, we've always been told that money is power and we've been told that there's money in politics. But then if in the same breath we think we have a democracy in the sense of power being vested in the people, then we really need to seriously rethink who has power and that'll help us understand what needs to change in order to reinvest power in the people. But we have this bus. This is a, uh, this analogy. And the bus is headed straight for a cliff. And the passengers on the bus are not driving the bus. The driver of the bus it represents the people in our society who have power, which is a small fraction, who are making money off of business as usual. They're making money off of the system such as it is. They're making money off of oil. They're making money off of car companies. They're making money off of Wall Street. Wall Street is in turn the companies that want to monopolize the markets of the world, companies like big food, companies like the military industrial complex, companies like the big box retail chains, the big box electronic stores, the big box hardware stores, the big box department stores, all want worldwide monopolies because guess what? Business does not thrive on competition. If you're in business, the last thing you want is competition. If you're in business, you want to crush the competition, and that's the so, so that and that's Wall Street. So in our analogy, the people that are the person that's driving the bus represents the people who have the real power, which is the people who have the real money, much of which most of which is invested in Wall Street. And if Wall Street is driving a bus, and, and, and the bus is headed for a bridge that's out, and we, the people on the bus, know that the bridge is out, and if the bus keeps going in the same direction, we're all going to be in the bus going over, you know, going into the ravine because the bridge is out. And we know that's going to happen 
if we stay on the path that we're on. And even the bus driver knows that that's what's going to happen if we stay on the path that we're on. But the bus driver is so addicted to power and control that he's got himself fooled that even though we're headed toward a, a bridge that's out, it doesn't really matter because we're having so much fun in the process. So in our analogy, we are the people on the bus. We don't want to go over a bridge that's out. We want the direction of the bus to change and we need to wrest control of the bus from the bus driver because the bus driver is not doing his job. The person who's driving the bus has the job of keeping the rest of us safe and the bus driver is not doing that. So we need to get the bus driver out of the driver's seat. And we need to get, in, in our society, we need to get big money out of the driver's seat because society and our species and our planet are going over a cliff, a cliff called climate change, a cliff called the sixth great extinction where we're losing biological species at lightning speed. We're losing biological species at a rate of one or two hundred per day. That's the most rapid extinction that we've seen in 65 million years. There has never been, in terms of global warming, there's never been this much carbon dioxide in the atmosphere since humans have existed. So climate change and biodiversity are only the t only two of the many crises we face. And I like saying, show me real democracy. Show me real democracy and we wouldn't have this conversation. We wouldn't have to have this conversation if we had real democracy, but we don't have real democracy now. What we have is fake democracy. So let's get rid of our fake democracy and replace it with a real, actual democracy. So let's figure out as a society how to get control uh, of society from the very few and transfer that control to the very many. And that's what Let's Talk is all about. Now today we're going to be talking about one of my favorite topics, which is what can we reduce by 90%? There's a whole slew of things that we can reduce by 90%. I like saying let's rethink everything. If you're going to, if you keep doing what you've always done, then you're going to get what you've always got before. So we need to rethink everything. We need to not be in the grips of people who say, we can't do that because we've always done it this way. Have you ever been in an organization where nothing can change because there's the guardian of business as usual saying, we can't do that. We've always done it this way as if the way we've always done it is necessarily the right way. So let's look at five or six things that we can reduce by 90%. 
90%. Number one, let's reduce cars by 90%. One reason we should reduce cars by 90% is we didn't choose cars. Cars were chosen for us by big oil and by the auto companies who, as usual, big business has undue influence over our government. At the end of World War II, it was known that we were going to sink back into a depression if government didn't maintain a major role in, in, uh, in, society, in the spending in the economy. So we came up with the highway system, the interstate highway system. The interstate highway system was a, an excuse for government to spend a lot of money and it also happens to be a subsidy for oil companies because cars use a lot of oil and it's a subsidy for the auto companies because if you have to have a car to go to work then you're going to buy a car. If you have to have a car to go shopping then you're going to buy a car. If you have to have a car to go on vacation then you're going to buy a car. If you have to have a car to go out on a date then you're going to buy a car. So we ended up with this transportation system where you have to have a car to get anywhere. So we ended up with this transportation system where you have to have a car to get anywhere. And guess what? That's a huge subsidy for the car companies and it's a subsidy for the oil companies and it's a subsidy for the people that want to build shopping centers and it's a subsidy for the people that want to put um, their stores in shopping centers. So as per usual, we are uh, the government, the job of the government is to put money in the pockets of rich people. That's what government is for. If you want to know the purpose of something, then you want to look at the effect that it has. If you know, if you can see the effect, then you know the purpose. Stop paying attention to the rhetoric. Look at the outcome. Look at the reality. It's our job on this show to separate rhetoric from reality. And irrespective of what politicians say, what government is for, we need to look at the actual effect of government. And government has the effect of putting money in the pockets of rich people. Therefore, we have to conclude that at least for now, the purpose of government is to put money in the pockets of rich people. So one result of our transportation system, such as it is, where everybody needs a car to get anywhere, is that people pay, on average, $8,000 per year to own and operate a car. That's a lot of money out of our pockets, and that's a lot of money into the pockets of who? The car companies, the insurance companies, the uh, banks who do the financing, and it's a lot of money in the pockets of the media that advertise cars. Meanwhile, we hardly have a system uh, of buses or trains to speak of. We hardly have a system that's friendly to bikes. We hardly have a system that's friendly to these new electric scooters that are a really valuable source of transportation. 
but it needs to be encouraged instead of discouraged. So if we're going to survive and thrive in and beyond the 21st century, we need to seriously consider reducing cars by 90%, and we need to not seriously consider replacing every, electric, every uh, internal combustion car with an electric car. We don't need to replace every internal combustion car with an electric car. That's out of the frying pan into the fire. For one thing, we don't have enough lithium for those batteries. For another thing, electric cars are just going to encourage the same urban sprawl that we have. For another thing, electric cars are sold by concentrated capital and we don't need to be subsidizing concentrated capital. We don't need to be giving all of our money to the people who already have more than they can spend. So let's reduce cars by 90%. Let's seriously use our imagination, put on our thinking caps, and seriously consider reducing cars by 90%. And then when we do that, we'll, be, we'll have so much time and money freed up for other things that we would rather spend our time on. When you're sitting in a, a car, sitting in traffic, breathing fumes, you are not free. So let's find other uses of our time, other uses of our money, and let's find some newfound freedom and do something else with our time. Item number two to reduce by 90%. So in this episode, we're talking about the things that we can reduce by 90%. So when we're talking about reducing things by 90%, we're talking about changing a lot of stuff. When you change a lot of stuff, some people are going to be squawking because for one thing, some people don't want to do anything differently. Some people become really defensive. Some people professionally defend the powers that be. So you can expect a lot of squawking from reactionaries when you talk about changing things. But we need to talk about changing things because we've got two major crises, climate change and biodiversity loss, and we're not going to survive either one, and we're not going to change our trajectory unless we change our behaviors and our systems. We need to change our transportation system. We need to change our food system. We need to change our financial system. We need to change our stock market. And we need to change these things fast. So item number two, let's reduce air travel by 90%. For one thing, whenever you're most of the flying, is most of the flying across the ocean? I don't think most flying is across the ocean. Most flying is over land. Why are we flying over land? Why are we subsidizing a system of air travel that, gets, that, that results in us 
flying over land. Why don't we have an efficient system of buses and trains to go over land? Why are we flying from Louisville to Chicago, from Chicago to New York, from New York to Atlanta, from Atlanta to LA, from LA to Dallas? Why are we flying over land? For one thing, all this flying results from a subsidy of jet fuel. So air, aeronautic fuel is not taxed. That's because back in the 50s, a lot of this stuff is traceable back to the 50s. Back in the 50s, they wanted to encourage the airline industry. Why did they want to encourage the airline industry? Well, you've got two choices, either because it's good for everybody or because it's good for a few. And if you guessed because it's good for a few, you guessed right. So we subsidize the airline industry by paying for airports at government expense. Why are we not instead subsidizing buses and trains? Because the airline industry is more profitable than a bus system or a train system would be. Think about this. If we, had, if we were to travel by bus or by train over land, wouldn't that be good for the destinations along the way? If you're going from Atlanta to LA by bus or train, wouldn't that be good for the local economies along the way? Wouldn't you get a chance to sample local cultures along the way? But the purpose of our transportation system, such as it is, is to put more money in the pockets of rich people. The purpose is not to enhance cultural diversity or to enhance the well-being of average people. If you want to know the purpose, look at the effect. The transportation system, such as it is, has the purpose of putting money in the pockets of CEOs and shareholders of airline companies, of fossil fuel companies, of car companies. We don't, have, we don't even have a functioning train system along the eastern corridor or in, I mean, it's a functioning system, but it hasn't been updated in decades. It's no faster than it was decades ago. It must be that it's more profitable to have I-95 corridor and have lots and lots and lots and lots of cars going from New York to DC. How many people would have train, would ride trains from New York to DC if it were practical? But instead, what we have is lots and lots of cars going from New York to DC. And what that represents is not only carbon dioxide coming out of the tailpipe, but it's also, you got to look at the manufacture of those cars. 60% of the pollution associated with the life cycle of a car is attributable to the manufacture of that car. This according to Richard Smith, who is a really good uh, economist. Not 60% of the carbon, but 60% of the pollution associated with a car 
is associated with the manufacture of that car. Only 30% is what comes out of the tailpipe and 10% relates to disposal. Another reason we need to reduce air travel by 90% is that it subsidizes the activities and the efforts of multinational corporations. When executives of McDonald's fly here and there, here and there, here and there, setting up 2,000 new locations per year, what good does that do you and me? If you own stock in McDonald's, then it might do you some good, but that's most of the stock is owned by the 1% and not the 99%. So all of this air travel associated with executives of multinational corporations need to go. All, all the uh, air travel, I mean, you know, 90% of the air travel associated with shipping for multinational corporations needs to go. And somebody might say, oh, we need all of this global trade because that drives the economy. No, it doesn't. It slows the economy. Globalization slows the economy because globalization is bad for each and every local economy. You don't want an economy that is invested in a few big industries. You don't want an economy that is dependent upon a few commodities. You want your economy, especially your local economy, to be diverse. You want local, you want localities to get most of their needs met through local commerce whenever possible. So what we need to do is to eliminate the 90% of air travel that is associated with the executives of Wall Street corporations and cargo associated with Wall Street corporations. We also need to reduce by 90% all air travel that is associated with the military, in other words, quote-unquote defense. And I put defense in quotes because defense does not defend us. So let's talk about why we need to reduce defense by 90%. So one thing is the word defense implies that they're actually defending us, but the Department of Defense doesn't do anything but make the world more dangerous. What are they going to defend us against? We've got a, a, an ocean on either side of it. We've got the Atlantic Ocean and we've got the Pacific Ocean. What are they going to defend us against? Who is going to attack the United States? The fact is the Department of Defense is not defending us against anything. They are only making life miserable for the rest of the world at our expense. And they are not defending the people of America. They are only advancing the interests of the multinational corporations. Like Thomas Friedman of the New York Times said, McDonald's needs McDonnell Douglas. And McDonnell Douglas is a defense contractor. What it's saying is that the multinational corporations of America need the defense contractors. They need the Pentagon to advance their own interests. 
but what's good for McDonald's is not good for you and me. Why should we care about the stock value of McDonald's? Less than most of the stock is owned by less than 1% of the people. Needless to say, the 1% of the people are not the people. So we need to be realistic and reduce defense by 90%. And if we do reduce defense by 90%, then we can reduce military-related air travel by 90%. So, so far we've talked about three things that we need to reduce by 90%. One is cars, another is air travel, and another is defense. But number four, let's reduce so-called free trade by national by 90%. Now, free trade is in quotes because free trade is not free trade. The North American Free Trade Agreement is not about free trade. It's about investor rights. It's about the rights of corporations to go anywhere they want and do what they want. So-called free trade is about the right of General Motors to set up shop in Mexico where they can pay people for a fraction of what they have to pay Americans and where they can pollute the environment. So, so-called free trade is under the World Trade Organization. The World Trade Organization is like a governmental body without any democratic accountability. The purpose of the World Trade Organization is to give lots of power to multinational corporations at the expense of small business and at the expense of the consumer and at the expense of you and me. Another purpose of the World Trade Organization is to negate and invalidate the laws of the towns and states and even the federal government. There are a whole host of environmental laws that have been negated and eliminated because of the World Trade Organization. There is a whole host of safety laws including worker safety and consumer safety that have been negated because of the World Trade Organization. So free trade is not about free trade, it's about investor rights, it's about giving a lot of power to multinational corporations at your expense and mine. That's when you need to look at what is the true purpose of government. Because if you want to know the purpose of something, don't look at rhetoric Look at the reality. So the rhetoric we've always been taught since we were knee-high to a grasshopper is that the purpose of government is to represent the will of the people. Well, if the purpose of the government was to represent the will of the people, then the government would represent the will of the people. But you don't look at the rhetoric, you look at the reality. The reality is that in almost every respect, the uh, public policy does not represent the will of the people. It most represents the will of the very wealthy, the very small, the very few, the very sick, the very rich. And it does not represent the will of you and me. 
whether it be to have strong labor, labor unions or not, the public policy in almost every respect represents the opposite of, uh, of public opinion. So that's all about, uh, about all we have time for. Thank you so much for joining me. We will talk about this again soon, and I want you to have a great day. Bye now. Thank you.